0: In this episode, we have invited Hannah Warrington. She is a practicing educational psychologist and an early start Denver model therapist. We also have with us Jessica Tupo, who is working with Hannah as an experienced ESDM therapist. Hannah and Jess will give us some insights into what they do in the Autism Clinic of Victoria University, Wellington. Approximately one in every 59 children are born with autism. Albert Einstein.
1: Dr. Einstein had no speech until age three. Steve Jobs, he was a loner, he brought snakes to school.
0: Leonardo da Vinci, this man was far advanced on the autism spectrum.
1: I'm not naughty, I'm autistic, and I just get too much information.
0: This is Lloyd IM and you're listening to Take Tanga. Love Not Cure, exploring autism one strength at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was talking to Kerry and I interviewed him about Takeo and he was talking to a lot of different clinicians and a lot of different um, autistic people as well in the community and he was asking for like um, what's the real definition and he came up like they just have their own time and space and that's it and then mm. and then he was receiving a lot of um, feedback from the actually it's global I mean global feedback he's receiving like um, a lot of clinicians, this is the best um, definition, it's just your own time and space.
2: I got into this field, I have two autistic cousins, Uh, who are now, uh, let's see, 18 and 20, Um, so you know, Mm. we've known that they're autistic for a while, Um, so what eventually got me into this field was a real interest um, through knowing them and wanting to kind of help and support in this area. Um, but then I guess every day it is that there's a lot of a lot of need um, from Fano and support needs from children. So the idea of doing hopefully a little bit to help out in that space is
1: really motivating for me. I started out um, my career as a primary school teacher and um, worked with a number of autistic kids and just felt like in that space I wasn't able to support them in the way that I wanted to. I, wanted to learn more and I wanted to do better. I've also um, got a really strong history of neurodiversity in my whānau as well, so um, I guess, yeah, wanting to be in a space where I felt like I could um, offer some kind of support and address some of the need that's um, that's there in some small way.
0: How long have you been with uh, Simpletic or Victoria, is it? I'm a little bit confused. Is it an autism clinic under Victoria University? or Yes. Okay. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, so the clinic is part of Victoria right. University, um, and it's within my role as a senior lecturer to be leading um, this clinic. It's right. a research-to-practice clinic, so that's where the kind of university umbrella comes over. But we've only existed properly maybe for three or four years, I established this based on the work that I did um, from my PhD um, and kind of grew it from there.
0: Yeah, and then both of you are like under that uh, Victoria University research. It's a research actually, right? It's (coughs) a research, yeah. In terms of the services you you are providing to the autism community, So I I heard about the Denver model, but is that the only services you're providing?
2: So no, so um, basically uh, as a research to practice clinic, we offer Mm. a few different things. At the moment our focus is um, tamariki under the age of five and their whānau. So the main thing, as you said, that we do is uh, based on that early start Denver model, ESDM, not the most (laughs) easy um, name to remember. We do do a few different things. So we have research projects on the go. Uh, for example, one research project that we're just wrapping up is helping older siblings um to play and engage with their younger autistic sibling using some of those uh, ESDM strategies. We do um, one-on-one therapy with ESDM, parent coaching, teacher support with ESDM. We're also looking at a few different types of support as well, for example, we will next month be trialing an autistic neurodiversity workshop, so we've co-designed that with autistic adults and the idea is that parents can come there and learn about autism through a neurodiversity lens from autistic adults, so that's another type of service that we're hoping to build in.
0: And then is this, this is open across, I mean across the whole Wellington only?
2: Yes, so at the moment we're the only research to practice autism clinic in New right. Zealand and at the moment we can only really be supporting those in the wider Wellington region so up to Upper Heart, up to Ōtaki and that's kind of it for us for now.
0: For now and then we're looking at long term if there's a growing need I mean are we looking at expanding somewhere?
2: Yeah, perhaps Christchurch, we've got our eyes on Christchurch a little bit we've yeah. got um, one of our therapists moving there for example so that might be a logical Uh, next space but also I think now um, with the change in the way we're kind of viewing technology partly through the pandemic and things that online support is a lot more uh, familiar to people and perhaps more appropriate so another way of supporting whānau across the country might be to increase our what we call telehealth you know our remote type zoom or something like that.
0: Right now given the changes you did mention about the pandemic and uh, challenges about like changing the, the routine, like that's, that's a, one of the challenges that especially for me having a, uh, a five-year-old was, who you just started to pull out from from kindy, yeah. now you're gonna pull him, uh, put him back so you're gonna need to do another um, like transition business again, how, how did you handle that?
2: Disruption and changes to routine are not always the most welcome for our population or for anyone really we were all a bit thrown by that so it was a hard time for us over the pandemic needing to just shut everything face to face down and then we did have to take it slowly slowly coming back again just knowing um that some of the kids that we support do take that time to become familiar again with the people in the space so it was indeed disruptive but we just had to take the kids where they were at just being really
1: sensitive and responsive to whānau to and to children.
0: In terms of uh, online, you did mention online training, so is it available publicly as well? Or is so, it only on your, whoever you're currently working with?
2: So we have a waiting list of things and at the moment we are doing online parent support. Uh, within our waiting list, and uh, so that is whānau who still live in the Wellington region, um, but once a week they'll sign into Zoom and there's about three or four Fano who will join and will, you know, talk about a topic, solve some problems together. It's also a chance for Fano to meet other people who have autistic children, share ideas and stuff like that. Uh, so that's something that we do at the moment that's still mostly restricted to Wellington, but I can really see how that could easily be expanded.
0: You, currently, how many families are you supporting?
2: Uh, so we usually see about 50 new whānau a year. Uh, that's been stable around that number for maybe the last three years, so that's, mm. you know, um, 15 or so um, new whānau per term and that's across everything that we're doing, our research, our community, um, support and so forth.
0: In those 15 uh, f- finals um, it, how many, I, I mean like, how many, no. How do we collect the data in terms of the research and uh, how do we know that the, what we are doing in terms of the program is, uh, is that applicable or effective? Yeah! Effective to the, the family? Or...
2: So that's a really good question. Um, if they're going to be participating in research, we would do it quite rigorously. So uh, at the moment we're doing a randomized control trial. Uh, comparing um, how helpful two hours a week of ESTM from a therapist and one hour a week of support for a parent is um, compared to the supports um, that tamariki would typically be getting within their community. So for that one we do a lot of rigorous assessments beforehand and then rigorous assessments afterwards. And what we're doing is we're comparing a group who received that support with a group who didn't receive that support. Bearing in mind the group who didn't receive that support will be putting support in place immediately after that study um, for ethical reasons. So there we do a really kind of complicated statistics to kind of compare that as a statistically significant improvement in say, you know, language or in the parent's ability to understand and support their child or so forth. But then more generally we would settle on, so if this is outside of research, we'd settle on some kind of important goals for the parent and for the child. So for example, you know, having words or a point or something to communicate the child's wants or needs. And then we'd be tracking progress towards that goal. So we'd be hoping within, say, a term of therapy, uh, a child who maybe, you know, wasn't pointing to communicate might be pointing more consistently towards the end of the term. And if we're not seeing that, we'd be putting, you know, other strategies in place to support their learning, mix it up in a way that uh, helps them, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jess also That's does research on things. so one of the key things that we're concerned about as well
1: is this idea of generalisation, so okay. making sure that we're not just seeing those improvements in the clinic, that they're happening at home, at kindy, wherever the wherever the child is, and with different adults as well, rather than just with the therapist.
0: In terms of the equity, how, how are we uh, supporting kids via uh, equity?
1: We are very mindful of making sure that we are connecting with a range of different communities and making sure that we're available and visible across a lot of different communities, trying to make sure that um, we are a place where um, a really diverse range of whānau can feel comfortable and supported. Um, And that is something that we are continually reflecting on and trying to improve on We're also doing some work at the moment to make sure that what we're teaching and the way we're teaching it is really neurodiversity affirming and within that um you know affirming to to different groups as well i think that's a really great question because Mm -hmm. it is such an important thing to be aware of and to be um, constantly reflecting on and trying to get right
0: in terms of information like i'm always referring back to my experience because what we had before, before when we Suspect that at first my child has autism. It's like, um, where are we going to start? Like, do we need to go to a clinic? Do we need to go to autism? And or do we need to go straight to the GP? Or what's there's no standard process across New mm-hmm. like, Zealand. That's what I found. Mm-hmm.
2: So the pathways for families who think their child is showing signs of autism and may be autistic are very complicated, (laughs) Um, very difficult for whānau to navigate. Um, It's a real problem actually, isn't it? And we're talking about, I guess, two different things here, right? Like you want um, to get your child a diagnostic assessment uh, to see if they truly, you know, are autistic or meet that criteria. And you also perhaps even regardless of that diagnosis, want to make sure that there's the appropriate support in place, right? In terms of the pathway for the diagnosis, regardless of where you are in New Zealand, a clear place to start is to go and see your GP and make your concerns really clear. Another thing that I would recommend for whānau whose children are three years or younger, is there's an app called AS Detect. Uh, so that's, Kind of a gold standard way of determining whether your child is showing signs of autism and may be more likely than average to receive that autism diagnosis. So I would recommend for Fano that they go to the ACE Detect website. And what this does is you put in um, your child's age, it guides you through some things that you might be looking for that correspond to those signs of autism. So one that we're really familiar is that eye contact might look a bit different for an autistic child. So you'll see a video of what eye contact looks like for a child who's not autistic, and then for an autistic child. And as a parent, you can make that determination. What does my child look like more Um, within these videos? And at the end, it um, will kind of come up saying, hey, you know, it looks like your child is more likely than average maybe to eventually receive this diagnosis. That's also something you can bring to the GP as kind of support, guide your thoughts around that. So that's diagnosis. Each DHB, as you see, has kind of like a different process from there, but I can confidently say a GP, blanket nurse, um, some of those health professionals that you interact with naturally uh, early in life will be your first point of call regardless, and then the process is going to be different from there. Unfortunately, we don't do diagnosis at our clinic. We do the early support side of things. And because the diagnostics process is complicated, because there's often a lot of weights and things, we don't require the child to be diagnosed as autistic to access our services. So we will support any child under the age of five who's showing signs of autism and we'll be doing a similar thing to check that as I talked about with those ascetic videos. So we'll do our own kind of version of that to check that there's some signs there. The way that we look at it is like, we're not diagnosticians. We don't know um, if your child is eventually going to go on to receive an autism diagnosis or not. Um, But what we can see is that there are some signs here and our support might be helpful. Um, So that's kind of where we leave it. can and do approach us directly, but we also get referrals from the DHBs, from the Ministry of Education, from early intervention type supports within the Wellington region. So we're pretty much open, come to us, we'll take it from there. Right,
0: and then you will just direct them to the right path, right?
2: Yeah, so for the diagnosis um, and things like that. We also take it on ourselves to be somewhat aware of the other services and supports available within the area. We'll particularly um, within research and things like that will support whanah to be linked up with the other supports that they need to understand the system that's quite difficult to navigate.
0: Tell me about the Denver model, how, how does it work? I mean like if I'm a new parent and I would like to understand if it's going to be effective for my, my son or my child How does it
2: work? Okay, um, well I'll go first and then just can add anything, flesh it out. So the Early Start Denver model comes out of the United States and we've definitely, uh, within the kind of boundaries that we're allowed, we've adapted it to make sure it fits best within this New Zealand context. And also with the increasing, um, want to be really respectful of the rights of the time we support and um, neurodiversity affirming and so forth. So basically what this model is, is it's a play or routine based model of support. So regardless of whether we're the therapist or supporting a parent or a teacher, the idea is that we start with the basis of what does this child like to do? What do they enjoy? What are their strengths and how can we build on it from there? For example. Imagine uh, your child's favorite thing to do is to jump with you on the trampoline. That's amazing, right? So we kind of look at how to build a nice fun, to and fro um, routine of jumping up and down on the trampoline, doing some things that the child loves to do on the trampoline, maybe the adult suggesting some new things that the child might like to do that they haven't done yet uh, and so forth. Uh, So that's kind of the structure, you know, we're doing it jumping on the trampoline, we're singing some songs, we're doing some tickles, we're playing with blocks, all that kind of stuff that you would usually see young children doing, building the learning in there. But also for parents, it's, you know, how can we build some learning into meal times, into bath times, into all of our daily routines and out in the community. So that's the basis for the learning. We're just learning through the stuff we do every day, naturally as a child anyway. And then on top of that, we work with the parent to select are some goals that are gonna help the child to kind of achieve what they wanna achieve um, and so forth. So the key things that we focus on is ensuring that the child has an effective way of communicating that can be understood by others. It doesn't necessarily have to be words. It can be gestures or pointing or those kind of things, but we'd really love for the children that we support to be able to kind of advocate for themselves in the world and, and to be understood. To help the parent or therapist find ways of joining the child where they're at and, and building some routines as well. So that would be some key examples of the goals that we would teach. So we
1: <clears throat> have some um, some different ways, so I guess, different modes or different settings that we um, use the ESDM. So um, we have kind of one-on-one with a therapist in a clinic room, and that's typically for an out like an hour-long session. Mm-hmm. Most kids would come once or twice a week, yeah. Um, We also offer parent coaching, so we go into the home, um, or sometimes, as Hannah mentioned, remotely, work through some different strategies with with the parent that they can use in their everyday life. We've also um, done some work in ECE settings, so working with teachers and showing them some different strategies they can use to to include the child and support them in that um, ECE setting.
0: And then they work with other agencies or departments from the organization, like you mentioned about ECE, so the Ministry of Education, to align what you're doing with what they are expecting on the school setting?
2: So, we don't receive funding from any ministry mm-hmm. or any government funding, so it's not like we work for those ministries or anything, but it's very important to us to collaborate yeah, um, and align the goals. Uh, with anyone else who's supporting the child. So, you know, if the child um, is being supported by the Ministry of Education we'd love to be on the same page doing the same thing. We ask parents if they consent to us, kind of approaching the other people who are there as professionals to support the child so that we can be working as best we can together. In Wellington, we have the Wellington Early Intervention Trust, which is another early support centre um, we work very closely with them in terms of trying to kind of align our goals. If we're both seeing the same child, so long as parents consent, of course, yeah. then we make sure we're kind of all on the, on the same page together.
0: In terms of reaching out to you, do we need to go to your website to apply? I mean, is that a t- the term to apply mm-hmm. or to, to be considered as, let's say, I want my child to be part of that?
2: Yeah, so um, if you put in uh, Victoria University of Wellington Autism Clinic into Google I would hope Autism Clinic too, but you can never rely on it Um, Then our website will come up um, and there's contact details on there But yeah, basically we don't have like a formal form or anything to fill out Um, You just email, get in touch and we take it from there The thing that we do need to check is that your child is truly showing signs of autism because we're an autism clinic um, we're not trained to support other types of need, you know, if the child's um, not showing those signs uh, And also, we do unfortunately have somewhat of a waiting list We try and keep it down, um, but you know, so we might not be able to you know, offer that instant support, like we would like.
0: So how long is the waiting list? Uh, I think at the moment uh, it's about six months,
2: um, six months yeah. Which is frustrating for whānau, and we would like it to be shorter
1: uh, but that is what it is at the moment, um, more funding, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we will not, come on, <laughs> we need your help,
0: that's why we're going to ask. I mean, not we, but the kids, kids need your help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're collaborating with our other government agencies like Ministry of Education. Are we in, fact, in terms of the Ministry, ministry of Health, uh, I know they are going to split into... Health, New Zealand, and Maori health.
1: Mm-hmm. Are we impacted by that change? No. Well,
2: no, because we don't receive any funding from them. Um, okay, which is so a good, yeah. Is it
0: a good thing or a bad thing?
2: <laughs> oh, well, I mean, the more funding the better, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to put that into junk, but, um yeah. it's important that we understand those changes so that we yeah. can work effectively, effectively alongside these organisations, but we're not directly yeah. impacted. Yeah,
0: especially for parents like asking what path they're going to have and, oh, there's this Maori health and then there's yeah. this Health um, New Zealand, health in New Zealand. Keep on that changing. Yeah,
2: it's really important for us to understand those pathways so that we can support our whānau through trying to navigate the whole system. But yeah. And it's already so fragmented and
1: difficult to navigate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. Um, and sort of that funny, almost like a middle ground between Ministry of Health and Ministry of Education with Kind
2: of fought in each camp, you know, it is, yeah, yeah. It is. and then the new um, disability yeah. ministry as well, and understanding how that piece fits in with all the other pieces, yeah,
0: yeah. Aside from the Denver Model, uh, I keep on saying service, but what, what term are you going to use for that Den- Denver Model? I guess bracket? it's kind of just a support, yeah. I guess, support, is what yeah. I call it, yeah. So do, do we do other supports as well? From that Denver model.
2: Yeah, so what we're looking to moving into is more of those neurodiversity workshops where Fano can meet autistic adults and hear their perspective. Another thing that we're really excited about towards the end of the year is there is a model called PACT Pediatric Autism <laughs> Communication Therapy. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that comes out of the UK. It seems like a really promising, sensitive, neurodiversity-affirming type of approach. Uh, so we're being trained in that towards the end of the year, with the hope of adding that, giving Fano a bit more of a choice between um, models or supports can only be a good good thing. Um, yeah, and then Jess also does important research, kind of aside from that. Yeah, so um,
1: looking at um, working with Fano and um, ECE teachers to co-design some ECU-specific supports, and particularly for tamariki Māori um, on the autism spectrum, but um, of benefit to everybody because there is so much um, so much awesome knowledge and wisdom within Laturanga Māori that, you know, can benefit anybody, Māori or non Māori. So, um, yeah, um, an exciting space to be working in where you're working with, with families, with teachers, and really, um, Designing something to fit rather than trying to fit something that's come from somewhere else. Yeah. In
0: terms of the support that we've provided, um, are there any additional improvements that we're looking at apart from the the pack that we are going to introduce, or are we combine that pack later on with the S D M? So how how do you think that will work?
2: I think we look at always improving. Uh, so, you know, we've got these directions we want to go in in terms of finding out about new supports and things like that, but I think what's an ongoing process is listening to our community, listening to our Fano and autistic adults, autistic people, and just constantly, you know, trying to make what we have better, more responsive to Fano as respectful as we can to the child themselves and all that kind of thing. So I think that will just keep going forever. I don't think we'll ever kind of be done in that space, I can't imagine.
0: I, I know there are a lot of programs, therapies, uh, sorry therapy and other like ESDM or EDM uh, yeah and and then we're introducing PACT as well. I um, understand that it's not one size fits all and we need to test every possibilities that So that at least we can help or support kids. What's the most in your based on your studies, what's the most let's say I'm not gonna say like this is the most effective, but what's the most promising, I should say, in the therapy or therapy, yeah, therapies that you're
2: so I think what you say about every child is different and there's no one size fits all means that although we might see Across, you know, a lot of children in this study or that study, there may be these benefits for both ESDM and PACT. There's some research evidence to suggest that they're beneficial for certain things for certain children. I think you're right that the most important thing is tailoring it. You know, really getting to know the child and their family um, and what might work best for them and their needs. So there is definitely we know for sure from the research that there's no one program that can meet. The needs of all children are all whānau and I don't think there ever will be. So if one program
0: doesn't work what do you do with that? I mean like for example for example it's me <laughs> you're like doing <laughs> yeah. that test subject so if it doesn't work are you going to recommend something else or are you going to say maybe it's not for you or you know?
2: Yes, yes um, and it's our ethical responsibility basically as practitioners to do that so with ESDM for example, um, we kind of try a first thing and because we're seeing how the child's going with the goals all the time, making sure that those goals are a priority for the whānau, um, if we're not seeing kind of any progress, there's a lot of changes within the model that we can make, you know, so maybe um, we need to be teaching this with more interesting materials or maybe we need to have a few more chances for the child to learn this or we need to teach it in a different way or do we need to bring in visuals or, um, you know, does the child need some form of augmentative or alternative communication, you know, so could we be writing things down? Could we be using a device to communicate? So within the model there's a lot of flexibility to be trying a lot of different things because we know that each child has different needs Uh, but there's definitely some occasions when we've made a lot of those changes and we're still not seeing the, the learning that we would be hoping for so in those circumstances it's our responsibility to be really honest with the whanau and say look here's the things we've tried to be honest we're not seeing that much progress here What do you think? Are there other things that you think that we can and should try? And we're really open to that. But also, you know, maybe this isn't the model for you. Let's have a think about what's out there. We can help and support you with referrals. You know, do you need more direct input from a speech language therapist? And is that going to be more helpful? So it's something as a whole clinic we know is our responsibility, basically. Part of it
1: is finding a model that fits with the values and the preferences of the family, yeah. and that varies um, quite a lot as well, which is where I think it will be really great to have some different programs yeah. that we can that we can offer that, you know, Farno feel like they've got some choice and they can pick and choose. Do yeah. what, well, what we, yeah.
0: we record those data, like, for example, uh, it doesn't fit in this family? Do we consider, like, maybe because... Um, the family just migrated, for example, and then of course the, the environment is new and so on, yeah.
2: Yeah, so we always take every family kind of where they're at and really want to take those things into consideration, you know. Um, but always wanting to do better as well, right? So, um, one thing that I would love to do more, um, if we had more funding, is the idea of kind of making sure that the support's offered in the person's first language you know so that we could have therapy offered in te reo maori and all of that kind of thing and I'm definitely we're, we're working towards it but we're not there yet you know um, so if we have a whānau who's just migrated you know where English is not their first language we do the best we can I would love for us to be able to have a way of communicating with them in their own language you know um, access to those translation services and stuff like that is definitely Um, something I would love the funding
1: for
2: Mm. and that's where some of our qualitative
1: research is really useful as well so interviewing parents and families after they've been through one of our services to find out what worked and what didn't work and how we can improve
0: how about in terms of like I understand that if it doesn't work we will stop doing it and we will introduce another uh, concept but there's this, I, I just heard this somewhere when I was listening in an, another podcast and then they said that if it doesn't work now, potentially it could possibly work in the future. Mm, do we yeah. do that as well?
2: Yes, and I think that's something that we need to kind of have in mind more and something that I'm hearing really clearly from autistic adults is that now might just not be the right time for that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be it never will be the right time, yeah. you know, it's just it's just not right now. And I think that's something um, that we need to be more conscious of, actually. Yeah, although I guess one of the challenges for
1: us with that is that because we just cater for under five, yeah. often when they're seeing children for the first time, they're three or four already. Yeah. That doesn't give us a lot of time for, yeah.
2: <laughs> wait and see. Wait we don't really go there. with wait and see. We kind of go with chuck everything yeah, let's, that's appropriate at it and see when we can go.
1: Anything
0: else you would like to add before I finally ask some of the questions that are
1: general? No!
2: that's okay. Is it alright? I think so. Now it's dead. That's okay. Oh, I I turned back on now, so that's good. No, I
0: just turned off. I guess it doesn't want to be. (laughs) (laughs) I thought something like, oh. Alright. So any any additional information that you would like to add or you would like to I mean share as well because if I after I I I edit this I will be posting at least so and I will be asking for help as well from the government I mean like I I've been knocking on their door like my son needs ORS, I mean like he's a runner and then it's declined so okay so what's the plan (laughs) that's really hard so yeah so. Any other additional information or um, message you would like, or any message you would like to give to parents and carers?
2: I guess one thing um, to say a bit more clearly is how grateful we are to um, the support and input put that we get from Alfano and from our advisory group. So we do have a group of um, professionals and parents and autistic adults who. A couple of times a year, provide really good, critical, um, but practical input in how we could be better supporting um, our child and better our children and better operating the clinic. And I think that's um, just been invaluable for us. Basically. I guess just acknowledging that what a tricky system it is
1: for parents to be navigating, and you know, there are, are so many challenges associated with finding support. Um, yeah, and I guess like as yeah, said, so really grateful to to um, to be given the privilege, really, to be involved in families' lives and you know being a part a part of their journey and um, with autism. Yeah.
0: What advice would you give to an autistic person who's about to enter the real world?
2: What do you mean by the real world?
0: I mean, like, of course, a lot of the autistic kids are like when they are going to work, for example, and then a lot of you know, fears why they are going in, in that path, you know? Yeah.
2: So I think I would probably switch that up a bit and it would be my advice to the world um, to better welcome and accept and allow autistic people to thrive, basically. So I think, you know, if I think about um, someone who is autistic, finishing up at school and thinking of going on to university or into the workplace, um, I would be encouraging workplaces and universities and things to think about how much that person actually does have to offer and maybe we need to change what we're doing to best support and enable that person to kind of thrive in these spaces. But I think it's more about um, us as society working out what we need to do um, to get, you know, to best support autistic people
0: who do have so much to offer. And yeah, as far as I'm aware, schools, clinics and the society itself is not built for autistic or neurodiverse uh, people and that's the challenge. We've been Mm. trying to, like they say, early intervention works very well, we know that, I mean science can back that up, but again, given the long waiting list, given the long um, Given the challenges that the parents are experiencing, I mean like the child is already like five years old, six years old, seven, ten years old Until they get the support that they really, really want. So Mm. yeah, that's a little, um, I mean, frustrating if I'm gonna be honest about it. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, so how about you, uh, Jess?
1: Yeah, I guess kind of added to that um, advice would be find your tribe, find your people, find support from other, you know, um, like-minded, understanding people. And there are some um, some amazing initiatives and online groups now of um, autistic people supporting other autistic people and sharing experiences and knowledge and wisdom. So, yeah, I would go to them for advice. I think because yeah. there's a, an amazing wealth of wisdom there.
0: Okay, that's it. Thank you for your time. Ah, hang on, because I don't have anything to offer you, apart from I know you. You are very busy, and you still have time to come here and just this. Is just something. I... Oh, cool. you.
2: thank you. You really didn't <laughs> need to that. No, right. um, we're very um. To have, I'm always stoked to opportunity to talk about this.
1: Yeah. And we just we were just saying what a fantastic idea this is and how valuable it's gonna be for other parents. who ah, are yeah. in a similar <laughs> position. <laughs> this is yeah. really
2: cool, thank you.
0: No worries. Oh wow um, <laughs> as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah.
2: yeah
0: I mean like I call it like the multi spectrum logo because it's a sound spectrum, colour spectrum and um, Height spectrum?
1: Yeah. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank, you. yeah. Thank you. Did you feel
0: this yourself, yes. the designing this? Yes. Wow. Oh, yay! Yeah. I always love anything rainbow color. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for your thanks for your time and I will be meeting you again at some point. I was
1: It's pretty good. It's really good. Yeah, it's just good. Yeah. anything? Yeah. (laughs) we're done. We should
0: have warned you how awkward we are at
2: the interview. No, it's okay. You can choose to it. Yeah, as a combo. Ready? (laughs) You're
0: okay? (laughs) All right. So, hello everyone. So, hang on. I'm just going to edit it anyway. No pressure.